Welcome to the Inside Carolina podcast. It is game week. That means that it is the game plan podcast sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt and JohnnyT-Shirt.com. Hmm. Game Plan Podcast means Jason Staples and Greg Barnes have joined me. Gentlemen, uh, I'm just the host, so I'm going to tee it up. I'm going to get out of the way because this is a massive game for Carolina on Saturday night in Kenyon Stadium, 730. Greg Barnes, I'll start with you first. Carolina's defense versus Virginia's offense. Uh, We can talk all about the issues Carolina's offensive line has. We'll do that after the break, but I think this is a game where Carolina's defense, and specifically Jay Bateman, need to step up and be huge for Virginia. Tell us why, as we dig into this uh, effective, though competition-questionable Virginia offense thus far this season. Well, I think the the key for for Jay Bateman is first two games of the season going up against Braxton Burmeister and then Cornelius Brown. uh, Those guys were more dangerous with their legs than they are with their arms. And so what really transpired is um, there was really an emphasis on kind of keeping contained. Um, and, and that's one of the reasons that North Carolina uh, did not get a lot of pressure. Now, if you listen to Mac Brown earlier this week, he still wants to see some sacks. He wants to see pressure, even if it's just the, the front you know, three or four guys. Um, but it really sounded like Jay Bateman uh, didn't send the dogs and uh, really wanted to make sure they, they contained well enough because they knew that, you want those kind of guys to beat you with their arm. This week's going to be different. Um, Brennan Armstrong is, is really developed as a quarterback. Uh, he's been very impressive thus far this year. Um, you know, he, his accuracy has improved. His decision-making has, has seemed to have improved. They've talked him up quite a bit. Um, Bronco Mendenhall was pretty open, pretty candid this offseason, saying that he thought that this offense that he had uh, was going to be the best offense that he's had at Virginia. Um, and so I think that the challenge for, for North Carolina is going to be, okay, you're going to have to get pressure on this kid uh, because he has been fantastic when he's been kept clean. And when you've got an offensive line like Virginia does, that has, I think, 130-plus uh, returning starts, career starts, uh, all five starters are back, very similar to what North Carolina's got. Uh, and then you've got a, a quarterback who played very well last year. And, uh, and then, you know, Virginia was five and five. Uh, but he got knocked out of the, the NC State game, I think, in the first half, and then he didn't play the next week. And both those were losses for, for Virginia. Uh, so with, with him fully healthy, Virginia was five and three, which says a lot. And then they, of course, won both games this year, and they've looked really good. And they're averaging eight yards per play. Granted, you know, they've, they've played Illinois and, and William and Mary, so not the, not the best competition. But you have to take advantage of your – of your schedule, right? And that's what Virginia's done. They're, they're averaging over 500 yards of offense, eight yards per play, pretty solid. They, they've done what they needed to do. Um, and that they've gotten very creative with how this offense is run. So uh, we know what happened last year. We know that with misdirection and, and, and doing some of the eye candy, window dressing type stuff, it really confused North Carolina just a little bit. And, and when you're not able to attack and you're able, you're kind of sitting there Maybe not confused, but you're just trying to figure out, okay, wait a minute, where exactly is this going? Um, that gives the offense an advantage. And that's what Bronco Mendenhall tries to do. Uh, Robert and I, uh, he's done a good job with that for a long, long time. 
And so I think the challenge for Jay Bateman is going to be you know, making sure that his guys can understand what their jobs are and then also finding a way to get pressure, uh, which has been a talking point all offseason. They haven't done that in the last couple of years. And for this defense to really take that next step, which we all expect them to do, they've got to be able to generate some pressure and it's got to be some individual plays that, that happen uh, that allow that to work and not just some of the schematic stuff he does with, uh, with blitzes and those kind of things. Jason, the one thing uh, a lot there, Greg covered the waterfront there, but the one thing that sort of catches my eye or, or doesn't is the eye discipline that Carolina did not have against Virginia Tech early, early and Virginia is going to want to build off of that. Um, how does that improve over the course of two or three games? And also, what does Jay Bateman maybe do differently than he's done yet this season getting ready for this Virginia offense? Well, I'll answer the last part first. I don't know that there's a whole lot that you can or should do differently in preparation for this for this game. Because really what Virginia forces you to do with all their shifts and different formations and motions and everything is they they basically are able to keep the keep the chalk. Right. So, you know, you talk about X's and O's contests between the uh, the offensive coordinator and the defensive coordinator. And part of the, the, the chess match is trying to be the last guy holding the chalk. So, you know, I can draw something up on a board as an offensive guy. And then if you know what that call is or, you know, formation and tendency and all that, you can go ahead and. Uh, and, and dial up something that's going to cause serious problems for what, I, for what I've put on the board. But if I have you know, the ability to make a, a, a check or do something at the, end of the, at the end of that right before, like once I see what you're going to do, then the balance tips in my favor. What Virginia really does with all the, all the eye, eye candy and all the different motions and personnel things that they do is they force defenses to play them more vanilla because if you if you make a call that's an aggressive call and you're bringing pressure from over here and disguising this or that and you do that against just the wrong thing you're going to pay for that and that might be a touchdown so what you have to do against a team like Virginia and this is part of what their design is going to force you to do that's what they're trying to force you to do is to play more vanilla stuff to play more base coverage looks, to be more, to basically try to just really play sound defense and handle whatever they're throwing at you. Now, if you can see that there's a tendency here or there and you can guess right here, you know, and, and you've got some preparation for, okay, if we do this and then they respond with this, here's how we respond to that. If your players are really prepared, if you got better in players, then you can still take your, you can still take your chances in terms of, um, pressure packages and things like that you just have to be really careful and that's basically um that's basically what bateman's gonna have to do is not so much change things as just ensure that his defense is really prepared on the basis of okay when this guy starts here and motions here we've got a 43 percent chance that this is going to be one of the this is the the likely call this is what we're looking for when, when they line up like this, we absolutely have to make sure that this gap and this gap are covered this way. We have to make sure that we shift the front here. It's, so it's a lot of those things that 
you're working on all week to try to respond to what Virginia actually does with all their stuff to make sure that you just don't get caught with your pants down. Cause that's the other thing that they're trying to do. They're trying to make sure that, you know, with, Oh, we're going to go unbalanced and then motion this way. And then while you guys are still scrambling to try to make sure that, that, that everything's covered, oops, you didn't cover that gap with your front and our guys running, you know, 30 yards into your secondary. And if you're, if you're not way faster than us, it's a touchdown. It's that sort of thing that they're trying to do. So that's where, uh, what was said earlier about you have to have players make plays. Your pressure has to come from a guy winning at the point of attack. Your pressure has to come from the guy that you've designated as, okay, this is your gap, but you are the designated pass rusher here. You get to the quarterback. If this is a, if this is a a pass play, those guys have to win their matchups. Your, your guys on the edge, if you can single cover and we've, we'll, we, I've talked about this for years, but I'm going to go there again. If you can single cover the outside wide receivers with your corners and not, and not get beat deep and not give up a whole lot, that does simplify a whole lot on the inside. If you can just say, okay, we're just going to X out those outside guys. You guys take care of that. Now I've got nine guys I can play with against the others. I can do a little bit more and, and feel like I'm not going to give up too much in that, on that inside area. So, that's the, that's the thing. Can you win the one-on-ones against a team like Virginia? Can you win the one-on-ones up front and out wide? And if you do that, you're going to, you're going to have a good chance. So, and, and both of you guys can answer this, but Jason, I'll stick with you as a follow. So basically what you're telling me is that defending Virginia's scheme is less of a scheme thing and more of a personnel getting it done individually thing. Is that what I'm hearing? Sort, sort of. Yeah. So on the one hand, it's, it, it is a scheme thing and that you have to be prepared for all the looks that they're going to give you. So you're spending extra time in practice going over shifts and, you know, Oh, they've got two extra players on this side. It's unbalanced. And this is what they're doing or, Oh, they, they've just decided to line up with three quarterbacks on the field. Or, oh, you know, they've, they've put their main quarterback out wide, and now you've got the wide receiver who used to play quarterback in the backfield, and he can run, but you got to know that he can throw too. And all of these things, you have to, you have to be schematically prepared for what they're going to throw at you on that, which means that your checks and all of that are more important. So you know, okay, we're going to be in, uh, in, let's say, a match cover three or – something along those lines in the, in this, and we're going to go in an odd front. Here's, here's the, the basic look that we're going to give them. Oh, okay. Well now they just went unbalanced and now there is a nub to the, to the boundary. So we've got to figure out how we're going to adjust to that. That's still scheme, but it's, it's not like you're running a, an exotic coverage or, or anything like that. It's not about that kind of call. It's about what checks do you make? to the weird stuff that they're going to throw at you. What check is, are, are you passing in? Or in some cases, in many cases, what you're doing is you're making sure that your safeties and your linebackers automatically know, okay, check, 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 you know, check to this. Okay. That means we have to, you know, if we have this call that, that moves us into say a cover six or right, now we're going to be in cover six, now cover six, cover six. And this guy rotates over and it's all a response to the weird thing that they're showing. And that has to be done really quickly. It has to be recognized and it has to be communicated 
and it ha- and all of that stuff has to be done before the snap and be executed. So that is scheme. But because you're not doing as much like, okay, we're going to bring two extra guys this way and we're going to load the A gap here to try to, you know, give them some eye candy to, to, uh, to cause problems with what we're doing defensively. It really does boil down to, okay, we're going to get into the right check, but then we're, when we're there, we have to win the one-on-ones. That's just it. Yeah. And Tommy, if you, if you listen to Bronco Mendenhall, I mean, this is a guy who had a lot of success out West, of course, um, but his background's in defense. And so the way he looks at it is, okay, I was a defensive coordinator for a long time. What is confusing for defensive coordinators? And he says that when you look at the fact that college teams have 20 hours a week uh, to to study things and and prepare a game plan, the more that he is able to put on the platter for defensive coaches to look at, and as Jason said, I mean, it could be multiple quarterbacks on the field, um, it could be all these crazy different looks, uh, personnel packages, whatever. And even if he just shows it once, it's something that is on film and the defensive coaches have to account for it. And so it's, it's a little bit of gamesmanship in terms of saying, we're going to put so much out there over the course of a year, uh, two years, whatever it may be, that you're going to have to cover so much. You're going to have to decide, okay, what are we really focusing on here? And that's one of the reasons that, that Mac Brown and Jay Bateman really talked about this week is, yes, they do a lot of, as Jay said, crazy stuff, quote, crazy stuff. Um, and I think Kamon Rucker said funky formations, which I like even better. Um, but at some point, you can get so bogged down in that. You know, Vic Coney used to say paralysis by analysis. And there's a lot of truth in that. Uh, and so it's really at some point, it's, it's about there's going to be a snap and it's either going to be a pass or it's going to be a run. And you're going to have to make an adjustment and you're going to have to tackle. And it's as easy as that. I mean, we're bare bones in it. Um, and so it really is the, as Jason, I mean, Jason laid it out perfectly there, but there's just so much going on that you have to have your, your scheme set up, your game plan laid out. And then the guys have to be able to make adjustments and do the best they can do and, and, and trust themselves. And I think you Broncos trying to create a confusion. Robert and I is trying to create confusion as best he can so that you're not able to be as aggressive. And so North Carolina just kind of wants to avoid that by attacking, kind of like what your original question was there, Tommy. Jason, go ahead. And, and really one thing that, that really is important against this kind of, of attack is you have to be, uh, you have to rely on veterans if you've got a lot of veterans on defense that have seen this and they understand, you have to have guys that understand the scheme that you're asking them to execute. That's critical. I mean, it's one thing to say, okay, you've got a gap, right? Okay. Well, you're blitzing the a gap. That's fine. But then what happens if they go unbalanced and now really the gaps have all kind of moved. You have to understand the concepts of the front. And veteran guys get that more. And that's why that, that really helps if you've got guys that, that have played a lot before in this sort of thing. And one other thing that I, I, I should mention is if I'm Jay Bateman, I'm bringing in a handful of packages. So maybe if I, maybe if I carry 10 special packages or, or uh, pressure packages into a given game, maybe I cut that in half for this game. 
but I make sure that I feel comfortable calling those against anything that they that they may run in that down and distance and that my guys really understand what checks would need to be made based on uh, on formation and all the funky stuff that they do. You know, the alternate is that you basically you have these calls. So you bring your usual 10 calls in, but you have a lot of automatic kills in there. So here's the call. And if they go trips to the boundary, if they go nub, if they go, you know, two quarterback, whatever, kill, kill, kill. And we go to this basic, here's our, here's our default. And, you know, when, when I was at Florida state years ago, uh, there, there was a, there was a rule on, on defense that if you don't get the call, it's jet robber, jet robber, cover one. And if there's any confusion, you play jet robber cover one. <laughs> and so, you know, if the call doesn't get in, if we can't get the call in in time and they go hurry up, you're playing jet robber cover one. <laughs> and so the idea was let's simplify. And even if nobody, even if, even if nothing else works, everybody knows that defense is the default and everybody knows what to do against everything in that, in that look. And then it's just about winning. So you have to do something like that. You have to figure out, What's going to be our default? If they go funky, what's the kill? What do we kill to? Here's the one thing that we're going to go to every time. And that helps. So, Greg, let's talk about specific matchups in this one that are going to matter. Uh, we could debate and discuss this portion of it, but let's talk about specifics that these that Carolina fans, inside Carolina people listening to this podcast need to be paying attention to. Give me one. I, I think from listening to you guys, uh, Jeremiah Gimmel's got to be at his absolute best period in this game. But give me a specific matchup that may define this ball game from Carolina defensive standpoint. Well, I think there's two ways we can talk about this, Tommy. Um, and I think the the obvious glaring one is Jelani Woods, who is 6'7", 270, and can run. Um, he has been very impressive thus far. Uh, you know, he played at Oklahoma State, and now he's he's tight end for Virginia. Um, he looked really good against Illinois. Um, just 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 a horse over the middle. And how North Carolina decides to defend him will be something. And I'm I'm interested to hear Jason's take on that in just a minute. But I, I think the other thing is is we keep talking about multiple use of, of quarterbacks. Uh, just to kind of give you some numbers, um, Keaton Thompson, who who picked up the fourth down for Virginia last year that ice the game against Carolina. He is listed as a FBP on the depth chart. Football Stands for player. Football player. <laughs> I've never seen that. That's what he's listed at. <laughs> and the reason why is through, through ten, two games, he's caught 10 passes, he's, he's carried the ball eight times, and he's thrown a pass. Ira Armstead is also listed as a quarterback. Uh, he's, he's run the ball a couple times, he's thrown a couple passes, and he has a reception. And then Jacob Rodriguez, who is another quarterback, he's also listed as a FBP. Um, and he's run the ball a couple times already. And they'll put multiple of these guys out on the field at the same time. And, and the concept is when uh, Bronco was at BYU and had Taysom Hill, they really thought, okay, this guy's not only our quarterback, but he's, he would be our best running back. He would be our best tight end. And he may be our best wide receiver. So how can we use him in more than just one way, especially when we have other quarterbacks that we think are pretty good? And so that was kind of the, the, the formation of this idea. 
Um, and so when he started to recruit guys into Virginia as, as running as quarterbacks, he said, okay, eventually we want them to develop into a quarterback. But these guys all played, they were the best athlete on their teams in high school, right? I mean, we've told those stories all the time. Bruce Carter was a stud quarterback. Caleb Hood was a stud quarterback. Uh, but it's because they're the best athlete on their team. And that's the case here. And so what he wants to be able to do is use a, a Keaton uh, Thompson to do a lot of different things and to put him on the field. And if you want to you know, move Brennan Armstrong outside, which they did against Illinois, and allow him to be able to catch a pass, you can do that. Um, so not only are you using players that are good athletes in different manners, and that creates those challenging looks for the opposing team, but it also gets some of these guys on the field. And it, it lets you mix and match the way that, the, the way that you want to. And so how North Carolina kind of deals with that, um, that's just making sure, you know, again, Jason laid all that out pretty well. Um, it's just kind of making sure what your keys are. And that's not on the players. That's on the coaching staff laying that out during the week. And then on game day, as Jason said, when you've got veteran guys who kind of know what some of the checks are, they really help communicate things out and they try to contain it as best they can. Um, but just uh, the fact that uh, Bronco uses that and they really, and Robert and I have used that for so long and they're really wanting to use it more this year. Um, I think we'll see some interesting play calls by, by Virginia on Saturday. So Jason, I said key matchups for Carolina, but is the key matchup Jay Bateman and his defensive staff this week? That's a good question. Um, yes, to some degree, but I, I, I want to say no more because at the end of the day, the players have to play. And yeah, it's on the coaches to get them ready and, and being prepared for all the stuff that Virginia is going to throw at him is going to be critical. But again, at, at a certain point, it does really just boil down to, do you whip your guy up front? And do you make the tackle when you get there? Do you win your one-on-one -on -one matchup when you're asked to single cover as a corner? You win those matchups, and a lot of defensive coordinators could look really good. <laughs> so Jay Bateman's job is just to make sure that the players are in the best possible position to be able to do that. But the key matchup there, there, the thing is in this game, there are multiple key matchups. And the, 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 the thing to remember is you have to win. And that's what Virginia does is they want to stress more than one spot on your defense. And you have to win those, whatever the key matchup is on that play at any given time, it might be a defensive tackle. It might be a linebacker. Who's a conflict player. You know, they're asking to do two different things. It might be a, a corner who's in a one-on-one -on -one that they that they have to make sure they win. There are a lot of a, a lot of different players who are ending up being the the key matchup in this game at any at any given time. And so that doesn't mean that that well then it's just the coaches that that are the key matchup. It means that you don't actually have just one or two spots that you can say, well, if Carolina wins that matchup, then they're going to win. It's just not that simple when you play a team that it, that is as diverse and as uh, and as um, multivaried as Virginia is. It's interesting. I wonder why more teams don't do it. Uh, I mean, we can talk about that, but yeah, I'll ask you that, Greg. Why don't more teams employ this approach that Virginia does on offense just holistically? You know, I think everything is 
football more so than most other sports. I may be stepping out of line and saying that is really a copycat kind of deal. Um, and you just kind of go with what the, the trends are. And uh, we've, we've seen this trend from, you know, the spread offense at one point was just about getting your wide receivers outside and you may be going four or five wide. Uh, and that was kind of the big thing. And then you get, you know, uh, the air raid set up where you've got your five linemen that are spaced out and all those kind of things. And it's crazy at first. Uh, and then everybody kind of adapts to it. And now this, I mean, what is spread now? I mean, everybody runs a spread. Does anybody run like a traditional pro style offense anymore? Um, Chip Kelly many. was doing pretty close to that uh, the last couple of weeks, but the pendulum's swinging back a little bit, which is interesting because defenses have, have tried to match up with that, with that, with the spread looks and with those, with that personnel. And now teams are starting to go, you know, we can go big here. We might be able to bludgeon that defense a little bit and, and, and get them out of their comfort zone. So some teams, not many though. So I think the interesting thing is that all that stuff is schematics, right? So what's the next, next step? You know, if, if you go back to pro style, that's one way. But what if instead of instead of going with a different kind of schematics, you start using different kinds of personnel? And in college basketball and and, and NBA as well, we've, we've talked about positionless basketball. Roy Williams wanted to use two bigs forever, and that's probably part of the reason that he retired. Uh, is that the game had changed so much? That's what he knew and that's what he loved to do. That he was kind of aged out of it. Well, I'm not saying that what Virginia's wanting to do is positionless football, by means. But when you're using guys that can throw the ball, run the ball, and catch the ball, multiple of them, that's a unique approach. And you can do a lot of different things. And Virginia hadn't got to a point where they're doing all kinds of crazy stuff with uh, halfback passes and that kind of stuff. I mean, they'll, they'll do a little of it, but not a whole lot. But I could see in the future somebody getting crazy uh, and doing a lot of that stuff, wide receiver passes and, and whatever, if they've got enough guys available to, to be able to do those things. So um, I think it's just kind of an interesting take on, on that. And um, it's, it's kind of a bold move. And I, I think a lot of people are probably waiting to see, can this be successful? And if it can be, well, then you'll start to see more people kind of embrace it. And the thing is, it's really hard to do. <laughs> so even, even if it is successful, it's a hard formula to match, partly because of the design of practices. Right. You've been at enough practices. What happens when you when when the team goes from 11 on 11 scenarios or whatever? What happens? Everybody goes to their position group. Right. And each has their own position coach. And you learn the intricacies and the ins and outs of playing that position. Well, if you're playing four positions, exactly where are you supposed to go? I mean, it's it's just a logistical question as an as a as a offensive coordinator and also trying to manage your players. Okay, so if this guy's a football player, who's his position coach? What meeting room is he supposed to be in? Is he supposed to be with the running backs, the wide receivers, the quarterback? Because they all meet in different rooms. And so once you have everything segmented out like that, just from a logistics standpoint, it's really hard to get enough consistency where a guy is able to learn a given role or position well enough to be able to do that well while also doing something else. I mean, it's just, it's really, really hard. It's one of the reasons why you see so few two-way players now as well. Right. I mean, in the past years and years and years ago, you had, you know, your best players played both ways. 
Well, now you've got offensive and defensive meetings happening at the same time in different rooms. Where's that guy supposed to be? Is he supposed to be learning the defense for the week or the offense for the week? And if he misses a day on one side, does that mean that like, <laughs> where, where's he supposed to go? So, you know, you miss Tuesday. Okay. So Tuesday, you're going to be with the defense. Wednesday, you're going to be with the offense. Well, when you get out there for Wednesday, you're not going to know anything that they're doing because the, the, the stuff that you worked on on Tuesday, you're polishing up on, on Wednesday and you haven't had time for that. So this is why that's so hard. Virginia has done a really good job of finding logistical ways to make it work. And again, even if it works for them, it's hard to match. It's hard to imitate. Very fascinating discussion there. I'm glad I asked that question because it, it is sort of a, yeah, it, it'll be fascinating to watch them do it and then see if it ever picks up. Yeah, but look take- what yeah, New Orleans is doing with, with Hill now. I mean, that's about as close as you get at the NFL level because they run him at a lot of different positions. So He is, uh, yeah, I mean, football player, FBP on your roster. Good stuff. Johnny T-Shirt and JohnnyT-Shirt.com sponsored the Inside Carolina podcast. They are great friends of Inside Carolina Premium subscribers. You get 10% off your everyday order. So make Woo. sure you do two things. One, you if you don't have Inside Carolina Premium and you're listening to this, uh, I'm not sure what's going on. You got to get on it. Um, tons of news. I mean, if it's not football news, it's basketball news. And there was some basketball news um, on Wednesday as well. So get on that bandwagon. Join Inside Carolina Premium, and as a kicker, you get Johnny T-shirt 10% off, and you get to hear Jason Staples with his sound effects every time you make an order on Johnny T-shirt. When you click pay, you hear Jason Staples doing Ricky Bobby. So it is, it's a win-win. Yeah. We're gonna, <laughs> I'm going to take another short break. Oh, and Blue Shark Vodka, the sponsors of the Inside Carolina Post Game with Ross Martin and Sean Drawn. Check that stuff out. The Barth brothers do a good job with that. It's certainly worth checking out. Might check it out in the bowls lot on Saturday. Come around. You might get a taste. National guys are going to pay the bills. We'll be back. Game plan. Jason Staples, Greg Barnes. I'm Tommy Ashley. We'll be right back. All right, boys. We're back here with the game plan podcast. Inside Carolina, of course. Johnny T-shirt, of course. Uh, Blue Shark, of course. Uh, we've talked about how Carolina's defense is going to deal with Virginia's. I think I'm going to title this podcast uh, Chaotic Confusion. So my question, Greg, and I'll come to you to start with, as I always do, is Carolina's offense. Judging from the RPO breakdown that Jason did earlier in the week, it is chaotic confusion, but not in a good way on that offensive line. So how does this change? How does this uh, – come together or jail, so to speak, for Carolina, for Phil Longo, for Stacey Searles in a position that's got to get right for Carolina to have success against Virginia. Right. Uh, encourage anybody that's, that's on IC or on the internet listening to this to go watch that breakdown that Jason did because it's fantastic. Um, and it really highlights the issues for this North Carolina team because um, you know, Mac Brown got a little bit of grief on Monday for saying that it's not – it's not always the offensive line. And I think we all know that inherently, uh, but the fact that you've got five guys back, you should be able to lean on that group probably more than they have. But what Jason's breakdown really showed is, I mean, there, there's issues across the board. There are multiple uh, miscues up front. Uh, there's a miscue maybe with, with Sam Howe in terms of not making the right read. 
Emory Simmons on that play didn't get appropriate separation. And when all those things kind of come together, it makes it challenging for an offensive play to work. Um, and North Carolina didn't have that problem last year. And so you can see just by watching that one play that Jason broke down of what a lot of the issues that North Carolina has been dealing with through two games this year. Um, and so to me, it really comes down to how North Carolina is able to handle the chemistry issue up front. Because um, as we talked about the other night, Tommy, we knew coming in, there's talent at wide receiver, there's talent at running back. But because it's really fresh talent to the scheme, it's going to take a little bit of time to kind of work in. Um, and once you get into Georgia Tech and Duke and Florida State, you're going to have opportunities where they can kind of grow and build confidence and have success and all those things that you need heading into the second half of the season, beginning with Miami on October 16th. Uh, that doesn't necessarily help on Saturday against Virginia. And so I think you, you still kind of – and Sam Howell's probably trying to do a little bit too much. But that offensive line has to be the – has to be the strength of this offense right now. You have to be able to rely on them to make the, uh, the, make the, the right reads, uh, to do the, the technical stuff right. I mean, Mike Ingersoll has done a good job kind of breaking down some of those technical issues. And then you get into the injury situation where Brian Anderson didn't play against Virginia Tech. He was not completely healthy against Georgia State. Not sure what his status will be for, for Saturday. Uh, Joshua Zudu, uh, you know, we, we had heard after Virginia Tech game that maybe a couple weeks for he could come back. So we don't know if he's going to be able to play. Um, so, you know, if you don't have those two guys, what kind of happens is offensive line. And so I really think for Phil Longo, it's, it's solidifying up front uh, with Stacey Searles. If you can get those guys calmed down and, and communicating better and operating better and doing the right things, that takes a little bit of pressure off of Sam. And that's going to allow some of the, the skill position players that, to have some success. We can dive into what Virginia has changed schematically in a minute. Uh, but, but I think it really does begin up front for North Carolina. And as we talked about defensively, uh, at some point you just got to make a play. And at some point you've got to win at the point of attack. Well, in this game last year, Virginia consistently won at the point of attack. They consistently won at the line of scrimmage. Um, and so you, you're always going to have some miscues. But North Carolina has to set the, the tone. They have to be able to win at the line of scrimmage. And if they can do that, this offense can have some success. Uh, I don't know where to start with you, Jason. Um, <laughs> I, I think that play broke down that you broke down on the pool. Um, I don't know. I, I don't – I just see a mess. Um, but <laughs> Carolina's got to fix it. My question is, we're two games in. I think after this game we'll know more. But why is it broken? Well, I mean, what's a realistic reason? We can talk about injuries all the time, but you can't – talk about eight to 10 guys that can play and it'd be a mess on a couple injuries. But so it's a deep question. It's also a, a very speculative question, but Jason, why is the offensive line broken? If it is in your opinion? Well, I don't think it's broken. And actually it's interesting because I'm, I'm, I've been looking at the, uh, at the feedback, the comments on that RPO breakdown that I did on the, uh, on the tar pit premium board. And the thing that's kind of surprising to me is that after that breakdown, I'm looking at probably seven out of every 10 uh, comments is like, oh man, the offensive line is just terrible. Like they've got to do better than this. And 
that what that means is I didn't do as good a job of breaking that down as maybe Greg gave me credit for, because if there's one guy that I'm blaming the most for that sack, it's Sam Howell. As, a, as an offensive coordinator, when I look at that play, the guy who's most responsible for that ending up being a sack, it's Howell, not the offensive line, not any one offensive lineman. Because for, for a couple of reasons, one is the read is a little bit muddy as it is the, the safety steps up, but not that much. So he's kind of muddy in that. And when I coach quarterbacks, I teach muddy read means handoff. Got to trust your back. And you don't, you know, live to see another play End every drive with a kick, live to see another play. Don't get yourself hit. If you if that guy's just kind of stepping up and he's maybe playing in your gap a little bit or he's playing on the in the passing lane just a little bit, you hand that ball off. Let your back be let your back earn a scholarship. So that's number one. I would if I'm grading that as a as a coordinator, it's a it's a pretty close to a 50-50 read. But to me, 50 getting close to a 50-50 read means handoff. Now, at that point, the back probably based on the blocking doesn't get more than three or four yards, you know, if he's a good back. Now, if he's Javante Williams, he might score. But that's another story. That that then is when you can start to deal with the offensive line stuff. The other guy that I blame more than the offensive line is Emory Simmons. If Simmons gets space off the line of scrimmage there, if he wins the one-on-one off the line of scrimmage and beats the jam, that's a touchdown. Which is why Sam pulled it. <laughs> because last year, with Deami Brown at that spot, odds are that's a touchdown because Brown probably wins that off the line of scrimmage. He won a lot of those off the line of scrimmage and he's a yard and a half ahead of the, the corner coming into the, in, into the frame and Howell just throws it inside the, uh, the safety who's covering that and, you know, puts a little touch on it. And it's a, it's a touchdown caught about middle, middle point of the end zone, you know, five yards into the end zone, touchdown Tar Heels, no problem. But if you're Howell, you got to, you got to understand what your personnel is. So again, I'm thinking probably should hand that off. It's only after that that I get to the offensive line and say, look, Montillas lunged at the, at the, at the linebacker and whiffed. Yeah, not so good, <laughs> but at least he whiffed on the right side and he can't, he can't get beat to the other side. So if you're going to miss, miss to that side. Okay. Yeah, Anderson gave a little bit of a runaround, but you know he, he's backside on that and he's supposed to just base basically maintain contact with that guy as long as he can. So, you know, it's, it was not that bad. There are little things that could be better, but it was not terrible on the offensive line. It just didn't look good. Uh, so, I mean, this is a group that should, especially given some of the physical talent up there, this is a group that should be an elite unit at this point. That's the frustrating thing for me is they've been pretty average rather than elite. And this, to me, should be a group that by now should be top shelf offensive line in the ACC, if not the country. So the, the gap between what I would have hoped for at this stage and what we're seeing is pretty big. But that doesn't mean that they're going out there and just, you know, getting embarrassed. They're just not as good as they should be. So that's where my frustration is. But again, it's not one thing. It's not the offensive line. It's not just, uh, it's not the offensive line. It's not the running backs. It's not Sam Howell. It's not the wide receivers. It's all of the above that right now have not played at the level that they need to. I mean, 
in my opinion, Howell has misread a number, I mean, a healthy number of RPOs so far this year. Ball, and, and in particular, I think he's pulled way too many. I think he's needed to hand the ball off another, maybe a third more than he has, if not half, half the time more. So at a certain point, you got to say, okay, look, you've got you've to start handing it off a little bit more and, and only start pulling when, when it's really clear. And, you know, but again, he's got to help his guys there. But then when he, when he is handing it off, the running backs have to do their job and make the first guy miss. So, I mean, the problem with offense, with being an, with trying to be a great offense is a great offense is one where all the pieces, everything hums together. It's like a well-oiled engine, right? Everything is just working. The problem is if, if there's one thing that's just slightly off, then everything else gets knocked off. And then if you have four or five things that are just, I mean, they don't have to be off by much, just slightly off. You can go from a, from a great offense to a average or even bad offense pretty quickly, just by multiple positions trading off. Who's not really doing the best. So, you know, I, I think there's a lot of Sam Howell trying to do too much right now as he's compensating for the lack of, um, of uh, some of the guys that he had last year, knowing that he doesn't have the on that he doesn't have a uh, Devonte uh, Williams and um, and Michael Carter in the backfield, knowing that he doesn't have Deami uh, Brown out there. I mean, th- those guys are huge losses. They're in the NFL for a reason. I mean, not to mention Daz Newsom. So he knows that he's got to be better, and I think he's pressed, and he's just got to let the game. He's got to let the game play. He's got to hand the ball off more and. Everybody else has to do their job just a little bit better to help him out. So that's kind of where things are, in my opinion. Yeah, and to add to that, Tommy, Sam was sacked twice against Virginia Tech off this exact same same kind of play. And Phil Longo told us last week uh, that that's probably happened where Sam pulled on an RPO play uh, and was sacked. Probably happened twice in the previous two years. So the fact that it happened twice against Virginia Tech was troublesome. And then Jason just highlighted how that happened again against Georgia State. So I don't think there's any question that the Sam is pressing a little bit. Um, the, the kid wants to win, but you've got to work within the, the, the scheme that you're in. Uh, you use it to your advantage. Don't try to work outside the scheme. And I, you know, we've known Sam Howell to be you know, a bit of a gunslinger. That's one of the reasons he's been as good as he is, kind of you know, pushing the line a little bit. Um, but, but in this type of scheme this type of play call uh you've got to just read your checks very easily and if you don't you get into some trouble all right greg uh let's start winding towards the end of this one where does carolina have success on offense against virginia because they they lost some players i think was it charles snowden last year that um probably at least flashed to make some money against carolina last last year i think he had four sacks in that game maybe yeah number 11 yeah. Why, why is it that number 11s just go off lately on the football field? But anyway, what, what's, what does Carolina have to do win some matchups to, to give Virginia's defense some trouble to get some points on the board for this Carolina team that's, you know, 59 against Georgia State, I get it, but only what they did against Virginia Tech? I mean, that, that cannot stand against Virginia. I really think North Carolina has to do a better job of, of really focusing on the, on the run. And part of it goes into the RPO discussion we just had where Sam's got to trust his, his tailbacks more. 
Um, I think that's the key part of it. I mean, if you look at what Virginia has done schematically this offseason, where did they struggle the last two years? In the secondary. They were just not very good past defense. And so what Bronco Mendenhall did was self-scouted and really revamped their scheme. And he went back to the 3-3-5 that uh, he used as a base with, with Rocky Long when he was at New Mexico before he took the BYU job. And that's what they're using now, uh, as opposed to that 3-4. And then what, what they did last year and even the year before, a couple of years before, is they would sub-package out and they would do the 2-4-5, which we've seen North Carolina do that a good bit uh, over the years under Jay Bateman. Um, but they've gone now to this 3-3-5 with the intent to really strengthen their secondary. Um, and we've talked about this, this in the offseason. You know, Matt Campbell has really made this kind of the in vogue defense because you have, a, you have a guy there in the middle of the field in the secondary, and you're not exactly sure if he's playing a linebacker role or if he's really kind of working as a robber, uh, as an extra safety back there. And that little bit of confusion is really what makes that, that system go. Um, and so they haven't really been tested yet, but they've looked good thus far uh, against you know, lesser competition. So they'll be put to the test. What's unique, though, is that one of the reasons Bronco really made that move uh, beyond the fact that he was comfortable with the 3-3-5 from his past, is that their analytics have told them apparently uh, that you're much, you're going to have much more success defensively if you can limit the efficiency of a passing attack as opposed to stopping the run, which kind of goes counter to everything that we've always heard. You know, every defensive coordinator that's come through North Carolina over the years has said, got to stop the run first. If you don't stop the run, run first, everything else falls apart. Well, Virginia's kind of saying, yeah, I don't know that the numbers really back that up. Um, and so with Sam Howell doing what he did against Virginia, I don't think there's any doubt. Virginia's goal is going to be to limit what Sam Howell does throwing the ball down the field. And I think that creates an opportunity for, for North Carolina to, to really establish a, a ground game uh, that really puts emphasis on the offensive line again and kind of winning at the point of attack. Uh, and I think North Carolina can have an edge there. If they can establish that run, commit to it early, uh, and, and maybe that would work out. Jason, agree, disagree, or go in a different direction there? I, you know, it, what I've seen, if Carolina can't throw it deep, that's troubling uh, for Carolina's offense. So some other guys are going to have to step up and prove that they can run the ball successfully or they can live underneath. I mean, Josh Downs can live underneath. Can anybody else? I, I agree with everything there. So, I mean – to, I've been harping on this since the preseason uh, in terms of what you, what you brought up about the, the uh, winning deep one-on-one you've got to be able in the, in this, in this college game, in, in today's college game, in the game where uh, especially you're playing the kind of air raid offense that, that Phil Longo's playing, you've got to be able to win one-on-one matchups down the field. I mean, this is the Clemson model. We've talked about this before. If you can't get those receivers that are going to win those one-on-ones, you're not going to win football games. You have to have that kind of, uh, of winner on the outside to, to open everything else up for your offense. And I think we're really seeing right now how important Deami Brown was to this offense the last couple of years. I mean, I, I vent, I venture to guess right now that if the NFL draft happened right now, after what everybody's just seen, that certain NFL decision makers might have considered Deami Brown a little higher than they did. 
just just going, whoa, look at what happened when that guy left that offense. Now, obviously, physical tools and fit in their offense and all that matters, but you got to have somebody who's winning those matchups. And I'm, you know, I've been a broken record on this. I'll still be a broken record on this. <laughs> that, that you've got to be able to win there. And everything else, I mean, all the stuff Greg said, I agree with. Let's look at predictions. We'll talk much more about this on Inside Carolina Live from the Bowls lot pregame starting three hours before we kick us. So I guess 4.30 to 6.30. Um, Greg will be there. Jason will be with us. I'll be there, of course, and Joey Powell and some other folks. But, Jason, I'm going to put you on spot. I'm going to put you up on predictions first. Uh, Carolina and Virginia, I think it is a huge football game. I'm not saying must win, but it's a must win if Carolina's season's going to stay somewhat on the rails from all the preseason hype. But what happens? As you know, I've gone back and forth on this game since the prediction podcast. When Greg beat me to the punch then, and then I didn't stick with my my uh, pick of Virginia, and I left Greg out hanging out there for all the, the haters in the preseason. So this is, a, this is a tricky one, and especially looking at what happened with Virginia Tech, looking at Virginia last week. Yeah, this still, this still stands out to me as a very losable game for North Carolina. And I have a lot of concerns coming into this game. Uh, I'm not as concerned, interestingly, about the defensive side. I think Bateman and that defense are going to be prepared for this game. And I think Virginia, you know, they're not going to average eight yards per play against North Carolina like they did against Illinois. And, you know, you look at last year against uh, against North Carolina, last year they averaged 5.73 yards per play. I think they're going to be – somewhere in that or a little bit less per game uh, uh, per play. And I don't think they're scoring 44 points like they did last year, but I also don't think North Carolina is going to score 41 points in this game. I have some serious concerns about what I'm seeing on offense. And until I see enough evidence from the Carolina wide receivers that they're going to win those matchups and that Howell's going to be able to do Sam Howell things I'm not sure Carolina is going to score enough points. So at the end of the day, I, I'm, I'm actually going to reverse once again on this, and I'm going to join the dark side with Greg Barnes here to pick Virginia in this game. I think Virginia is going to win this game. Uh, I think it's like a 55% shot that Virginia wins this game. I think it's going to be a close game, but I think Virginia is more likely to win this game than not right now. Uh, I'm going to go with Virginia. Uh, 27, North Carolina, 24 in this game. Greg Barnes, you're up. Or you can save it for the Inside Carolina well, Live I'm, show, but you can go I'm ahead. I'm not going to leave Jason hanging out here. <laughs> um, I agree with everything Jason said. And really what it comes down to me is you can only play the games on your schedule. And to date, Virginia has done everything it needed to do against their two opponents, and they look good doing it. Uh, we're not talking about them beating Texas A&M, but they looked good against the op opposition that they played. I don't think you can say the same for North Carolina. Um, I think there are some legitimate offensive concerns as, as Jason's laid out. Uh, and so, and you know, I think if North Carolina brings their A game, their A game is better than Virginia's A game. 
100 percent agree um we haven't seen north carolina's a game though and until until we see that um it's hard for me to pick north carolina here as i've said before tommy when you look what's coming up next you got georgia tech you got duke you got florida state north carolina will get tremendously better over that span of games and they'll be a, a much better team especially offensively by the time Miami comes to town, middle of October. I have no question about that. But we're looking about where they are right now. Um, and I, I just don't – it's hard for me to pick North Carolina to, to win this game. And so uh, I'm, I'm with Jason here. I've got Virginia winning this one, 31-28. Interesting. I'll save my picks for the Bowls lot. I'll leave you both hanging out there with uh, your Virginia Cavalier picks. I don't necessarily disagree. I, I think Carolina's got to score at least 30 points to win this game. And – uh, yeah, I don't know. We'll find out. We'll find out what the picks are Saturday. Um, it's been the game plan podcast. It is given what we were talking about this time last year. It is fascinating the difference um, that a that a four guys make. I mean, it's literally what it is. It's four guys make for an offense, and, and it's uh, not just Tommy. It's not just their talent. It's the confidence that they instill in others. And yep. so when Jason's talking about Sam Howell and making some of these plays with the pool, it's not necessarily because it's just the player there. It's, it's his confidence in that player. It's his confidence in the, the play working the way he wants it to work. Um, and I think we overvalue, overlook that a little bit. When you're going to hand off to Javante Williams or Michael Carter and that your choice is, okay, I can hand like just, just psychologically, right. As a quarterback, you go, okay, I got a choice here. I can hand this off to this guy or I can pull it and throw. Most quarterbacks are going to kind of favor the throw. Let's be honest. But then you stick Michael Carter and Javante Williams behind that quarterback and you harp on how good they are and you keep watching them do what they do. And that quarterback psychologically is going to start going, look, unless this is really obviously a pole read, I'm handing this ball off and I'm turning into a, I'm, I'm going to watch what this dude does. Yep. It just changes things when you have that. And same thing with, you know, Diami in terms of the confidence to know that guy's just going to win when it's a one-on-one -on -one and it's called for. He just, that guy just won. And, you know, some guys just have it when it comes to that guy just won't get covered. And Tommy, one last thing. You said you think they'll have to score 30 to win this game. That's all modern college football. If you don't score 30 points, you're not winning a lot of games in, in, in the current state of affairs in college football, the way that the game is officiated and the way the rules work and everything else. So yeah, you just generally have to assume if you don't score 30 points, you're probably not winning a game. Yeah, it is a, uh, <clears throat> it's high time. It's week three. We talked about it all preseason that this was the game. We find out what Carolina's got Ty Chandler, Caleb Hood, whoever's playing running back. Uh, and those wide receivers have got to step up and show they can at least if not feel shoes, they can at least wear the shoes and get it done. Greg Barnes, Jason Staples, I've been Tommy Ashley, or I still am Tommy Ashley, host <laughs> Tommy Ashley. I don't know about after these podcasts, but Johnny T-Shirt's our sponsor. And, of course, this has been the Game Plan Podcast. Folks, we'll see you in the Bowls lot at 4.30 on Saturday. Come join us out there, Carolina and Virginia, 7.30 in Keenan Stadium. I think the Keenan Stadium crowd might have a little bit to say about how this game shakes out, but we shall Here's see. Hoping. Boys, we'll talk soon.